0: Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org.
1: Excited that Eric came this morning from the, the distant land of the Upper East Side, a place. A place if you're a downtowner or a Brooklynite, you do not venture. I was talking to somebody who's not from New York City, and they were like, do you ever go like Upper East Side or West? I'm like, I don't go above Chambers. This is, my, this is my boundary down here. This is the land the Lord has given me unto me and my seed. Um, and so we're really uh, excited that they're here with us. And uh, I just want a quick introduction for those of you who don't know him. He's a famous author and probably the premier Christian intellect of our time for, the, for regular Christendom. And um, and and more than that, I, I was reading his book, and I told him I finished it this morning. <laughs> I just wanted to get it finished before he got here. Um, and uh, I just have the profound sense that by the grace of God, that uh, that he's that he's good, and and I don't mean that in a in kind of the cliched way, but. There's a famous quote, and it was attributed to de Tocqueville forever, and no one knows if he said it or not, but the quote was, America is great because America is good. And it seems that in our day and age that we've lost that idea, that any greatness that we would have had would come from our goodness. And we're trying to be good with technology and programs and like, can we shuffle the cards another way? That'll create goodness or greatness. And that's not how it works. The scripture says that righteousness exalts a nation, right? And I was reading through Eric's book, and I've got a, had a chance to get to an home uh, recently, and um, we were on a flight coming back from Lynchburg, Virginia, together. And uh, they were about to kick this guy off the plane, this old Jewish man that was confused, and he was actually a Hasidic guy from right here in Brooklyn, and he actually lived close to me upstate, um, and they were about to kick him off. And Eric got up and stood up in the plane and reprimanded the entire flight crew. I'm not kidding about this. And made them keep the guy on the flight. And we have a culture in a nation where people don't stand up for righteousness anymore. Where people have stopped being good. And, and, and in reading his book, I, I get the sense of the greatness of the man that flows forth from the goodness And I'm just beyond honored that he would be here with us. He was at a church last week of thousands and thousands and thousands of people and speaks to hundreds of thousands and millions of people on a regular basis. And he came down to our little neck of the woods here in downtown Manhattan. And can you stand and give him an honorable welcome here as he comes up? Thank you, Eric.
0: That's inappropriate. Please sit. Praise the Lord. You guys, listen. Do I have to start off with a cliché to reprimand any uh of the slightest adulation for me? All you all know, you all know this if you're any kind of Christian that you can't outgive God, right? So you know that if it seems like I'm doing something self-sacrificial by being here, you know, I mean, I'm thrilled if you appreciate it, but you also know that I Am getting monumentally blessed by being here okay let me let me say like that's a kind of gracious thing that people say when it's not necessarily that true but I want to tell you even if it's not true it's true okay but in this case it's remarkably true and I'll tell you I'll tell you why because the dead church that I go to every Sunday I'm kidding that was a joke but I just want to say no to be able to have this kind of worship like I don't need to get paid or to preach or to sell books or whatever. Like this worship fed my soul so powerfully. And I want to say, because I'm guessing maybe people were tuning in for the sermon or something like that, they missed the worship. And the worship is very anointed. And I want you to understand this is not normal. And I want you to understand that the anointing on your pastor is not normal. And I'm not a smoke-blown kind of guy. I prefer to make fun of the pastors. That just to make, you know, to let them know we're keeping it real, you know. But uh, uh, Suzanne, this is my current wife and I, um, we, uh, we, met in a, we met in church 27 years ago this very night. Just kidding. 27 years ago we met at uh, Ch- Times Square Church. You know Times Square Church, right? It's a little bigger than this. Uh, but it's, uh, it's one of those churches that, where there is an amazing anointing on the worship, and even using words, like I realize I'm speaking the Christian lingo, like there's an amazing anointing on the word. Like we can do that, right? Like we're on the glory cloud. Some of you get that lingo, like right? And there's some churches, they'd be like, what, what are you talking about? There, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect church, right, you've heard this. There's no such thing as a perfect church, and if you find it, don't go there because you'll ruin it, right? <laughs> but I do want to say, uh, I didn't anticipate saying this, but this is, a, this is very special. And people who are not here this morning to experience this, to experience this anointing and the presence of the Lord and to be fed, and to be, this is something that people are particularly not getting during this weird, you know, time. And uh, I just want to say that this, this really blessed me outrageously. So what you have here is very, very special, and if people miss the worship... You really, you missed it, folks, because I was thinking, don't let the worship end. Let, well, the glory cloud will come. We'll get like gold dust, and we'll just go till 4 p.m., right? Oh, yeah. Oh, the gold dust is coming. Just wait. So, uh, but, uh, so I always feel like, why do I have to ruin this by get up there and start talking and stuff? So, um, I, but I mean, in all seriousness, that's, that's just, uh, it, it's, y- what you have here is really beautiful and, and special. Uh, But we didn't know that when we came here. When Suzanne and I were thinking we're gonna go down to 31 Monroe Street, that was like the Lord saying, I want you to leave or of the Chaldees. (laughs) Now, if you're not familiar with that reference, it means you've been saved very recently. And I know some of you are here. But or of the Chaldees. And I will show you a place where you will go. You don't know in advance that the anointing will be awesome and that the signage and, and the, the visuals. And, and it, you, don't, you don't know that. You just go by faith. So we get, Suzanne and I get credit for not knowing how cool it was going to be driving our rear ends all the way down here in our Tahoe. Because we live way up. Like it's farmland up there in the Upper East Side. It's like way different from down here. and. Um, And we come down here, and we're like, what the heck? This is Chinatown. What are we doing in Chinatown? Why would they have a church in Chinatown? And uh, I saw somebody running down the street with chopsticks. I said, whoa, listen. No, 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 no. You can't do that. That is offensive. And uh, they, they just looked at me and walked away. I said, don't you understand? You could get canceled even for being Chinese. Like, what are you doing? You can't look like that. You can't do that. And they they just walked away. They shrugged. Um, But I said, we're down here in Chinatown. Like, what is going on? And then you come up here, and you think, wow. This is, I'm just going to say it for the 50th time. This is really very special. And you don't look like a pretty car mechanic. Uh, What you you look like, Bethany, is you look like a woman going on safari. That's what you look like. No, because it's really. But I know, look, I know. We know what. We know what David meant, but I'm just saying that it's, when I walked in, I was like, that's like a woman from, you know, uh, what, what is that film? Out of Africa or something like that, right? So, but this is, I'm just ranting, this is a blessing. I want you to know what you have here is very special. And this worship is just outrageously special. And, and it really did something uh, for me. And I'm just so, so, so blessed. Um, I want to tell you a story. You, you saw that there's a, a book out there, right? I'd want to explain this before I tell the story. I, the, the way Jesus came into my life is extremely extraordinary, and I'm more blown away by it now, 30 years later, than I was when it happened. Like, I'm more freaked out at what a miracle it was, and I want to tell you that story. Um, the scripture that I'm going to use is Jeremiah 29:11. 11. Many of us know this, for I know the plans I have toward you says the Lord, right? So we got to think about this. The, Lord's, the Lord, why would the Lord even say this? He's trying to say, it's like, hey, 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 like, stop. I know, I'm God. I know the plans I have toward you. He's like, take it easy. I know the plans I have toward you. And then he has to say, plans not to harm you. He's trying to say, would you trust me? You don't, you don't really know who I am, do you? I want you to know who I am. I know the plans I have toward you. So when the Lord says to you, leave or of the Chaldees and go to Chinatown, you could trust me. Now, I'm making fun of being in Chinatown too much. This is a, an amazing place down here. Um, before I go on with the story, I got to tell you, we did drive. We have a car in Manhattan, right? You know when i hit 50 years old i said like i'm gonna splurge i'm getting a car like usually in the real part of the world like when you're 16 you get a car but when i said i hit 50 i'm gonna get a car and by god's by faith i claim i'll be able to afford parking on the upper east side and the heavens opened and we could almost afford parking and um So Suzanne and I said, like an Uber or something coming down here would be like $45 million from the Upper East Side. So like we'll drive and by faith we'll get a parking space because it's COVID. There's like no, you know, there's no cars in Manhattan. And then we realized, I don't know if I mentioned it, we realized we're in Chinatown. No hay ningún parking ahora, okay? And... We found, because we have a Tahoe, which is a four-wheel drive, because we're in the sub did I mention we're in the suburbs? Way up on the Upper East Side. This is the suburbs up there, okay? It's like farmland. And we, uh, we said, we're gonna drive our Tahoe down. And we got here and we realized there's no parking and the car's really big. But then we found a gigantic pile of snow, like really big, on top of a parking space. <laughs> and I said, we could put this in four-wheel drive and we could use our prayer language. And we're going to climb that mountain. And we backed it up. And we are now parked like this. I want to say we're parked <laughs> like this. It's like, come and get me, de Blasio. It's legal. There's nothing you can do. So, all right, anyway, you've been a great audience. Good night. Thank you. So I, I want to say, like, God is um, amazing. And we always say that. But because we're broken and fallen, we're living in a fallen world, we have to perpetually remind ourselves over and over. And the Lord does that in the scripture. He tells us over and over and over again. He's like, do this every year at this time. And when you do this, do this and this and this and this. Now, why does he do that? Why can't we just go like, I got it, I got it? Because he says, no, you don't got it. You're fallen. And you will backslide unless you take these steps. You will drift away from me unless you do these things. You are a sinner saved by grace. And you know what? If you don't walk in that, it just goes away. And I will still love you, and maybe I'll still see you in heaven, but I don't want you to be miserable and to drift away from what I have for you. So we have to remind ourselves over and over. And it is why we have to go to church and hear sermons, because we need it. I need this. Trust me, I need this, and I know I need this. And there's not anybody in the world who doesn't need this. And if you have this and you think this is normal, I'm here to tell you again, this is not normal. This is not normal. Go to a few other churches and see what you find. You know, I think that there's certain places where you, don't, you just don't get fed and filled up and whatever. And, and it's so, so important. And so the Lord wants that for us. Um, but to tell you this story that I want to tell you, I got, I got to say that, I grew up in the church, but when we say the church, it was a church and it was a group of absolutely wonderful people, but they didn't have what we have here and what a lot of churches have. It was like you go there, be a good boy, study hard, you know, and uh, respect your parents, and you know. But when you get into the world, if you don't have the foundation of what it means to walk with Jesus and know, that I got to read the Bible, and I got to be around people that read the Bible, and I got to be around people who believe this stuff. You you drift away. So that's basically my story. And around my 25th birthday, the Lord spoke to me in a dream, uh, which is kind of the title of the book, uh, "Fish Out of Water." I'll I'll explain that. Um, but I want to say just up front that I wrote the book for people who don't believe the way we do. That doesn't mean that Christians won't enjoy it. I think they will a lot. It's like some really loony, crazy, funny stories in there, most of them involving my father and his uh, inability to get certain English words. Because my parents, this is the beginning of the story, my parents came from Europe. My father came from Greece. My mother came from Germany. They met in an English class here in Manhattan. Uh, And if you are raised by a Greek immigrant and a German immigrant, you will be messed up, <laughs> and um, only God can like heal that. But uh, I should also say, if you're raised by a Greek and a German, that means you will be raised Greek. Uh, the Greeks know they're the best nationality, and they can't do much about that. All right, that's your problem. They just know it, and they'll let you be an honorary Greek if you, you know, you approach them respectfully. They're like they'll, they don't care, you know. Um, the, uh, so the issue is that I grew up in the Greek community in Queens, and um, in Queens, actually there's a Greek community in Queens, but where we lived in Queens, like everybody was Jewish except us. We were the only Gentiles like on the whole block, and this is on Jackson Heights like 10,000 years ago, but we were, so grew up in Queens, and everybody we knew was a Greek immigrant or a German immigrant or some other kind of immigrant, like that was just our world, but I grew up in the Greek church, and Greeks when they're raising you, you know, uh, or when you're among Greeks, you realize, like, their number one hobby, all Greeks have the same hobby, it's called being Greek. <laughs> like, they're really into it. And, you know, what, for some of them, it's a religion, and that's not healthy. But the, for most of them, it's just, like, a really hardcore hobby. They go down to the basement, they do Greek stuff. And, um, and basically, I, what, you don't know what a basement is? You're Manhattanites, I know. You don't have those here. So, um... But I just, uh, I grew up in that world. And I want to say up front, it was a beautiful world. A lot of times Christians, you know, we get saved and we start denigrating everything else as that's the world, you know. It's like I burned all my, you know, Kansas and Supertramp albums. That's, you know, the devil's music. And nobody here is young enough. Everybody's just too young to understand what Supertramp in Kansas is. Um, I apologize. What can I say? Britney Spears, can I get that? Um, So, but the fact is that we have a tendency to do that and we have... Part of the reason I I tell the story that I do in my book is that we need to appreciate what sometimes is called common grace, right? In other words, if you have a proper view of scripture, you understand God is everywhere, even when his name isn't carved on the wall. So when you see love, the the love that my parents had for me, that's Jesus. Even if they didn't say, this is agape love, no, they didn't need to say that. It's like you get it intuitively because you're made in God's image, right? So we recognize goodness and truth and beauty. And we need we need to know that's Jesus. Whenever you see anything of God, it really is of God, even though it's not, it doesn't say it. So I wasn't raised in an evangelical household, but I was taught, you know, respect your parents, be good, don't lie, like all the basic stuff. And I think we need to give credit where credit is due, right? My parents blessed me unbelievably without realizing like this is Jesus. They didn't they didn't get that, you know. And, but, I, but I picked that up. But as I say, we went to church on Sundays, but I didn't get, you know, the, the, the important stuff. And there's a lot of people going to churches every Sunday or going wherever; they're not getting this stuff. And then you go out into the world, and if you're like me, I, I had the privilege of going to Yale University. That's like the ultimate, you know, European immigrants' working class dream to go to a place like that and to be a success. Whatever. Well, I didn't know that if you go to a place like that. You're going to, you know, be force-fed the Kool-Aid, which is secular, humanist, PC, madness, anti-American madness. All the stuff that the whole woke crowd is talking about today, that was there then. Because those are the places where you get it from. That's where it starts. And I talk about that in the book also. But I wasn't prepared for that. I went there like a a sheep among wolves, you know, like a a working-class kid from Queens and... I just thought, well, okay, so how do the leaders of the world, how do you think, like, teach me, you know? And how they think is they don't talk about the meaning of life because they kind of blew that off, like, in 1925. They don't, they're already way past that. Freud and Darwin already taught us that there's no meaning in life. We evolved out of the primordial soup, you know, by accident. And so you could put on a happy face, but you are an accident. Your life has no meaning and, uh, you know, Freud tells us that not only did you get here through survival of the fittest, or D- Darwin tells us that, but then Freud tells us that, so like, every feeling you're feeling is just libido, it's just a sexual drive to perpetuate the species. So like, you're just nothing. You're an amoeba, you're whatever, you know, you're smart amoeba. Um, and uh, here's the problem. My next book is, is called Is Atheism Dead? And here, the problem is that nobody really believes this. In other words, you could say, you believe, you say, I'm an atheist, whatever. You, 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 I dare you to live like an atheist. You cannot. You cannot. Because an atheist would either kill themselves instantly or they would kill other people and laugh. I mean, those are the only people who are living. If life is meaningless, there's no good or evil. N- none of us can even really appreciate what that would mean. Like it, and you know why you can't appreciate it? I'll tell you why. Because it just so happens you are made in the image of God, you are walking. Uh, truth detector. You're just looking, you're made for, for God. And so even if you hate it, you can't get away from it. You're going to know the difference between like, so why shouldn't I murder and rape? Like, is that, is that really bad? And like, everybody knows it is bad. Like it, you don't have to tell people like everybody knows because we're still, even though we're shattered, the shattered image of God, it's the image of God in us where we go. So when you go to a place like Yale or you're in the culture and they talk about like, forget about God or whatever, they can't live that way. Like, why does everybody today? Everybody says like, "Oh, racism's wrong." It's like you go, "Okay, really? Yeah, tell me why. Tell me, tell me why." They're like, "What do you mean? I'm even offended. You even ask that? I know it's wrong. I wrote a book about William Wilberforce who abolished the slave trade in the British Empire because of his love of Jesus. He loved the Africans and he understood they're made in the image of God. Blah 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 blah. Like, I get it, but tell me why do you say it's wrong? There's no God. Go. They don't know. They're gonna now. Don't get me wrong. They'll concoct something, but I'm just telling you straight up. It's baloney. The, there's, there's no why 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 should I give back to the poor? Why should I care about the poor? Everybody's like, oh, we got to give back, man. Why? Tell me why. I know why. The Bible tells me why. You tell me why. The scripture gives us all of this stuff okay and this stuff came into the culture it is in part of this evil western culture we live in is this idea that we're supposed to care for the poor and we argue about how to care for the poor right should it be the government should it be the private sector whatever most cultures in history have not argued about how to care for the poor most cultures in history have have agreed we don't care about the poor let them rot we don't care i've been blessed because i'm good and they're rotten in the gutter because they're bad that's karma Right? Go to India. Talk to the untouchable caste, and how they're treated. So, like these ideas that we all take for granted, these are biblical ideas, and people don't want you to talk about that. Like they want to kick it away because it makes them uncomfortable. He's like, well, then tell me where do you get it from? I'm supposed to care for the poor. I'm supposed to love everybody equally or care for. Everybody. So, this is the kind of stuff at a place like Yale. You know, they don't tell you this, okay? So when I was there, I remember. What do they do with this idea? I I wasn't really thinking about this consciously, but you just kind of pick it up, right? What do people do? They don't want to talk about the meaninglessness of life because it's too painful. So they just ignore it, and they kind of live like it's half true and not true, whatever. The bottom line is they kind of take great pains to not focus on it because if you focus on it, it will either become unbearable or uh, you'll think more deeply about it and you realize this is not true. I believe in Jesus, right? So... So what they kind of do is they kind of give you this unspoken message like, look, we're not gonna talk about the meaninglessness meaninglessness of life. We're definitely not gonna talk about the meaning of life because we don't believe in that, but here's what we'll do. We'll just ignore those questions. Like the questions you think you come to college or whatever to learn, like about all this stuff, like we're not gonna get into that deep stuff. We'll cover shallow stuff. You'll get a good job in banking or something. You'll get a good job. Focus on that job. Work really hard for a few decades and it'll all be over in a few decades. You don't need, just don't think about this stuff in the meantime. And on the weekends, it's like sports and alcohol. You know, don't don't think about these questions. What is the meaning of your life? So, so the goal of life is to work really hard and have a good time and have a good job. And you know, and and I was an English major. I want to be a writer. So, as you could maybe guess, I graduated and I did not get a good job. I basically floundered and floated and trying to be a writer. What am I doing? And um, and if you flounder and float out of college. It's kind of like a Euclidean theorem. There's, like, no way out of it. It's a law. If you graduate from college and you float and flounder, you will move back in with your parents. That's the way it breaks down. There's no, there's no way out of it. And if your parents are working-class European immigrants who didn't get to go to college, much less Yale, much less grow up in America where there's food on the table all the time because they grew up in Europe during the war, they're going to look at you like, what's your problem? It's not going to be fun moving back in, right? And... Um, my friends from Yale, like their parents would be like, oh, Eric's trying to be a, a writer. He's trying to find himself, you know? And my parents had the attitude like, you need to find yourself a job <laughs> and get out. So, so it was really unpleasant. So I can joke now, but at the time, it was really unpleasant. My parents were not, you know, created to, uh, to bless you as you flounder, you know? They are like, no, no. Uh, and, um, and because they worked really hard menial jobs to send me to this college you know and so it was a tough time in my life and I have to just backtrack real quick I mentioned the Greek thing that was like a really big thing growing up another thing that was important uh growing up was fishing because if you grew up in Danbury Connecticut place like that you know for me that was like my hobby you know I, I was not like smoking weed behind the A&P like some of you were I know who you are I was uh I was fishing and, you know, just hanging out, doing that kind of thing. And that was, that was very important to me. And I remember when my father, uh, who his main hobby is being Greek, when he saw a chrome fish on the back of a car, he would say to me, you see that fish? That is, he was excited. That is a Greek word. He was excited about that Greek part, right? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Greeks, sorry, the, the early Christians, were not they didn't use the sign of the cross and whatever and they were underground because they were being persecuted by the de blasios of that era because de blasio is a type of zennacherib if you study the old testament and um hallelujah and uh and so the early christians used the fish symbol because the Greek word for fish, my father got excited about the Greek thing, the fish word is Ichthus, okay? Ichthyologist, whatever. Ichthus means fish. Now the letters of the word fish is an acronym, ISUS Christos Theos Imon Sotir. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. So whenever they saw the fish, they thought of the acronym. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. So the symbol of the fish, some of you didn't know that. You just learned that now. It's a Greek word. And it means Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. So my father always pointed that out to me when we'd see a fish on the back of a car uh, driving to the mall or whatever we were doing. And that kind of imprinted itself. So then I go to Yale. And at Yale, as I said, I had no idea, like, whatever I grew up believing, the Greeks always at, Christmas, at Easter, they say, Christos Anesti. They scream, Christ Christ is risen. But I was never told, like, do we really believe that, or is that just what we say? Like, and it kind of devolved to kind of like, Happy St. Patrick's Day. You know, like, it, it's just kind of like what you say. And it's like, do we believe Jesus rose from the day? I never really thought about that. And so while I entered this secular environment at Yale, I began thinking, you know, maybe all religions are the same, because we know the Christians are cra- crazy. Like, they, we can't, we don't want to, you know, say that's the only truth. So everybody's kind of, you know. Now, of course, there's truth in every lie, right? there's beauty in every culture and even in every religion even though might ultimately not be right there there may be some things there right and we know that there are probably people in that faith who are better than we are right you know right but so you know you kind of drink this kool-aid and stuff and I kind of thought well maybe all religions are one and I came up with an idea which is like an image like a literary image and I said maybe what every religion is getting at is this idea of well you know i read just enough freud and jung to pretend that i knew what they said you know isn't that like a lot of life like you can kind of throw the word around and it's like what do you really know you, maybe a paragraph at the most but freud came up with this this uh model of the soul uh of you know the conscious mind and then the unconscious mind right and then jung kind of talks about the conscious mind and the collective unconscious now the collective unconscious means the unconscious mind, now if this doesn't make sense, don't worry because it's not true anyway, but I'm just telling you. The, the collective unconscious is like all of us, the, the, the unconscious mind of all of humanity, okay, is the collective unconscious, and that's really God, that's the divinity, okay? Now that is not true, but it's a nice idea, right? If I don't wanna deal with that old Jesus Bible stuff, like that's a nice idea, it's like it's not gonna, you know, I get to still sleep with the grad students, it's cool. That, that was a joke actually, do I, I, you understand? I guess not. I'm gonna annotate this sermon so I don't get in trouble. But the point is like, it's just kind of this benign idea that's meaningless. But I remember thinking like, yeah, that makes sense. That, this, so I actually thought all religions are really, it's the same kind of thing. It's like there's ice on the surface of a lake and that's the conscious mind. And our goal is to drill through the ice, to touch the water, the collective unconscious, and to have some kind of a, you know, uh, a a, a permeable membrane so to speak like kind of a, a healthy ability to be in touch with my spiritual side or whatever it is okay so I kind of thought that sort of makes some sense so I'll accept that that's my idea about you know world religion and I'm done I'll just go on with my life so I'm struggling with these things and Now I moved back in with my parents, and of course, my parents said, yeah, you gotta get a job. What are you gonna do with a Yale English degree? It only cost like $40 billion to get the degree. What can you do with this English degree? Nothing. Uh, You know, you could teach for like $8 a year, or I got a job as a proofreader at the chemical conglomerate in Danbury, Connecticut. It's called Union Carbide. Now imagine, I was like the editor of the Humor magazine, I wrote poetry, whatever. Now I'm in a corporate environment proofreading manual, chemical manuals. Some of you know the uh, the Hebrew word for this experience is Gehenna. You know that word? So I was in such misery. I was like in a cubicle, a quarter mile from the nearest window. This is the kind of a building it was. like horrible, horrible, horrible. And in this misery, sometimes God gets you in a miserable place so he can reach you, so he finally has your attention. And so in this year living with, with my parents and doing this horrible job and pretending that I'm writing on the side because I'm not, um, a guy, uh, I became friends with a guy who was a graphic designer, and he starts sharing his faith with me. And I was in enough pain to be a little bit open, but I was also trained by my good Yale training to avoid those insane Christians. So it was kind of like this cat and mouse game, right, where I'm like, "Yeah, tell me more, but no, I don't want to go to church with you on Sunday. No, 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 thanks. No, I don't want to do Bible study with you. I'm embarrassed by that, you know, like, which, you know, that's where I was coming from. And in the course of the year, God is kind of working on me. Not much is happening. I'm just suffering more. So you could say that I'm just getting more and more open to anything but this pain, right? Because I was not—it was not good. And um, basically, uh, around my 25th birthday, the Lord spoke to me in a dream. It was like a vision, a parable, a fairy tale. It was—it was—it was a God thing. It was a, the, the key is—I mean if you move in, in that kind of spiritual stuff, you know, you have to have discernment. Was this like I ate too much last night, I had a weird dream, or was this Jesus speaking to me? Like, you have to have the ability to know that. You know, you, you can't uh, take every... A lot, a lot of people, they say, I had this dream, and, and it's like, yeah, it was a dream, so, uh, it you know, may, maybe it's not going to happen. Um, but there are times when God speaks, and when God speaks, God speaks. It's very powerful. Um, and so the lord was able to speak to me in the dream and you know i want to say again that we a lot of us have this kind of um religious idea about god and when i say religious you understand what i mean it's, it's like when you take the truth of god and you kind of like shave off the rough parts and you make it fit your paradigm like that your church is preaching or that whatever you know but it might not be god right and part of that is that idea again of like anything that i left behind that's egypt like, that's, that's the world, right? And I want to say again, my parents, without knowing the scripture or knowing Jesus personally or any of that stuff, they lived some stuff that I don't see a lot of Christians living. And that's common grace. That's Jesus, whether it's acknowledged or not. It's like you look at a tree, okay? The tree doesn't say Jesus is Lord, but can I break it down? Jesus invented that tree. The atoms in that tree are sticking together because of the power of Jesus, okay? So Jesus is everywhere. We just don't see him labeled everywhere. So if you're eating an apple, I don't say like, excuse me, stop, stop, stop. Is that a Christian apple? You'd be like, it's an, it's an apple. Well, you know that everything that's good in this world is of, is of God, whether it's acknowledged or not. And so growing up, I got a lot of that growing up. So when David was telling the story about the, the old Hasidic man on the plane, you know, I kind of think like, I, I probably would have done that whether I got saved or not. Now, that speaks to character and training and stuff. So when you see something that's right or wrong, you know, you don't need to be a born-again believer to do that. Now, we all understand Jesus wants us to be born again. This is not like an add-on, okay? It's everything. It's he is life, and without him, we're dead. But it's just an interesting thing, because when I, when I focused on my background writing this book, I just saw how much was there and how blessed I was. There are people that when they come to the Lord, they're bringing unbelievable levels of brokenness, sexual sin and, and abuse and whatever it is, and that all needs healing. But I'm here to say, like, that wasn't really my case. I'm not, I was not, you know, uh, w- without any of that. But I'm just saying, like, it's just an interesting thing for us to think about, you know? Um, and so... And yet, the Lord allowed me to see that with all of that stuff, without him, I am 100% lost, which I was. So around my 25th birthday, in this misery, after about a year of talking to my friend Ed Tuttle about God and whatever, but still not, like, not really accepting it, frankly, okay, the Lord spoke to me in a dream. And this is the dream. Uh, I was on a frozen lake. Actually, you know what, even before I tell you that, right before this, a couple months before this, because there were a couple things, my friend who was sharing the scripture with me, uh, sharing his faith with me, hands me the scripture, the Jeremiah 2911 scripture. And I'll never forget this. And this is kind of the magic power of the word of God. Right? It's magic. Can I use that word here? I'm going to get stoned. Is that okay? Uh, When I say magic, what I'm saying is that it could be dead. uh, If a minor bird or a parrot you know quote scripture like I'm not saying that's the anointed word of God right but when it is anointed it is it's a door to heaven it's a door to glory and so he gives me the scripture and I remember reading it because I'm very distrustful of that God stuff I'm like scared I don't want to be an embarrassing like fanatical born-again Christian like I am now I don't want to be that and so I, I read that scripture, and it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you. And I remember thinking, huh, so if there is a God, he says plans not to harm you, uh, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you hope. And if you, so, like, so if there is a God, he's saying to me, I know you're embarrassed and you're afraid that I might want to do this and this, this, but I don't. I want to bless you. I have plans for you. Trust me. And it's interesting because I think that was working on me. That scripture was kind of speaking to me. And in the background, I was beginning to say, maybe I can trust him, maybe, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, but maybe, maybe. So when I had this dream, I was not quite the person I was a year before. Something had been going on. So in the dream, I'm standing on a frozen lake in Danbury, Connecticut, Kenwood Lake, which is where I uh, did a lot of fishing. And, and I'm standing on this frozen lake, and of course, it's the dead of winter, and the, the, the frozen lake, it's just bright, white, ice and snow and and it's a day like today actually just brilliant blue sky and white clouds and bright sun just beautiful winter and I'm standing there ice fishing on this frozen lake and I look at the hole in the water where I'm ice fishing and there's a fish kind of sticking its snout out of the hole now if you've ever ice fished you would know that never happens like you could sit there jigging for like 40 days and you'll never catch a fish. Probably that's like more likely to happen, right? But uh, so I looked down and in the dream, the whole thing was like a fairy tale. Like it was a vision where you just realize this is not a normal dream. I'm like walking in, in a vision here. And I look down and I see this fish and I reach down and I pick it up by the gills. You always pick up a, a fish by the gills, right? You know, and, I, and I hold it up and in the incredibly bright sunlight, shining off of the snow and the ice it looks golden to me this fish now it was a it was a a pike or a pickerel which has this kind of bronze coloring but the sunlight was shining on it and it looked golden and then suddenly in the dream and this is what God does suddenly in the dream I realize this fish is alive and it's made of gold this is like a fairy tale and in the dream, it's like God just drops the paragraphs into your head, boom, boom. Like, I didn't hear words. But it's like the Lord says, this is a golden fish. You wanted to drill through the ice to touch inert water, this collective unconscious. God, you you know, new age idea, energy, force, whatever. God says, I had something else for you. I have ichthys, the fish. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your Savior. You wanted inert water, and I wanted to give you a living person of my Son, Jesus. And in the dream, I got it, and it blew my mind. And I knew God was speaking to me. And look what God does. He one-ups you with your own dopey symbol system. That is that grace and love that he stoops down to our idiocy like we're children because we are and says, I'll talk to you in your baby talk because I love you. He does that for us. And in the dream, I'm holding up this golden fish that's alive. I know it's Jesus and I realize it's game over. I found what I'm looking for, which I didn't even believe existed, which is that The Bible is true. Jesus is Lord. This is what I'm looking for. This is the meaning of life. And in the dream, I'm I'm exploding with joy in the dream, knowing that I have my answer, the golden fish. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your Savior, he is yours. He has come from the other side where he belongs to you, where he doesn't belong. Why has he come here? He's come here to die when a fish comes out of water it dies. When Jesus leaves heaven for this broken realm he comes here to die for you. And all this came together in the dream and I knew in the dream this is God. Like there was not even there was not even a hint of a doubt. And a couple of weeks earlier I was like I'm pretty sure an intellectual smart person could never know if the Bible is true or if God is real. Like you might Hope it is, but there's no way anybody could know. And yet there is. But, I mean, if you think about it, it has to involve the Holy Spirit. It has to involve the Lord. Because on our own, we're stuck. It's like we get to the edge of a cliff, and we're just like, that's as far as we can go. We can't get across. But the Lord says, yes, now you know. And now you can stand at the edge of the cliff, and I will come to you. Because I can fly across the abyss and get you. I can do that, but you need to be there. And so that's where the Lord brought me to in my life. And in the dream, it was like game over. Now, God used the Greek stuff, the fish, all this stuff. My, 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 my I, It's kind of like there are three things. It's like there's the, there's the Greek stuff, which is a big part of who I was. There's the fishing, which was a big part of who I was growing up. That's just my, my life growing up in Danbury, Connecticut. And then... There's this intellectual life of the mind baloney stuff, which was kind of where I was. And he takes these three things together. Now, who could do this but God? And the next day, I go to work, and I tell my friend Ed Tuttle, who you know, had been sharing his faith with me, and I, I tell him the dream, and he's like, well, what, what does this mean for you? And I, I said to him the words that I never would have said, ever. I said, it means I've accepted Jesus. And I knew I had. And I have absolutely never looked back that miracle changed my life now we got to understand God will do that sometimes and other times it's a different path it's a different path for everybody and if you say why can't that happen to me I could say the same thing why do I have to go through hell and sin to get to this point I don't know God's ways are not our ways why did he let me suffer and go through that and why after I got saved did I have years of other kinds of sufferings that we it's okay God knows. God says, I know the plans I have for you. I know. Do you trust me? Will you walk with me? Will you hold my hand as we walk through the desert and the pain and the confusion and whatever? Will you do that? And the fact of the matter is, I don't know why the Lord used this to reach me. Now, the Lord can use this to reach you. The Lord the Lord can use anything. And that's the whole, isn't that the point of the story is that the Lord says, I will do whatever it takes to reach you in my time because I know who you are better than you know who you are and the Lord knew me so well that he gave me this dream that summed up my life and just just blew my mind and I got to tell you I'm more blown away by it now than I have been in the 30 years since like I I can't even believe the Lord blessed me with this miracle dream but it changed everything and I I say it was like going to sleep single and waking up married like you're like what happened I'm a different person and you know what I, I I was the Holy Spirit had come into me. Now, am I saying that I rejected Jesus before that? Not really. I just didn't know. I was lost. I don't know where I was before that. I mean, here I am in church. I was an altar boy. I'm doing all this different stuff. I Sometimes I would, you know, pray. The TV says, accept Jesus. I would, you know, nothing happened. You ever? You, I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about, and we've got friends who are like, I prayed, nothing happened. Well, I, I, that's a whole other sermon. But let me tell you, something happened that point, and at that point, everything changed. And it's my story now it's at the end of the book and i put it at the end of the book because i want people like us to be able to give it to somebody who appreciates like a great story or whatever it's a lot of humor and a lot of crazy stuff and you know people are enjoying the writing and telling the story but at the end only you get to this like i don't foreshadow this right i don't say like this is a jesus story so let me tell you about my life of sin you know no it's just the story of me growing up and at the at the end hopefully the reader has been tracking along, tracking along. So when they get to this, they'll be where I was, they'll be like, Oh, huh. This seems like God. But I, I don't so I say if you give it to somebody who's not on our page, don't don't tell them the punchline. It kind of ruins the joke, right? You just 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 you know let them let them read it. But I, I kind of think that that's just part of what God uses me to do in a way. It's like you just communicate things as He would have you communicate them. And you let Him worry about closing the deal unless he tells you or leads you you know obviously but I'm saying like a lot of times I think we get very uh, as Christians we think it's got to happen this way it's got to happen this way got to pray the four spiritual laws or whatever yeah four spiritual laws actually is not scriptural that's not mentioned in scripture do you know that I'm also joking there it's of course it's scriptural but it's not like mentioned in scripture it doesn't say four spiritual laws but I'm just saying sometimes we get these ideas and we act like it's got to happen that way you don't know what's got to happen do you think anybody on the planet was like thinking The Lord's gonna speak to Eric in a dream. We gotta tee that up so the Lord could do that. It's like God, God's, you know, you just pray. My friend was praying for me. My friend was praying for me. So the Lord did that, and I just wanna say if the Lord knew me so intimately that He could speak to me through these pieces of my life and weave it together to blow my mind forever, that's his way of telling me that's how he is with. Every one of you and everyone we know, he knows you intimately, far more intimately than you will ever know yourself or anyone will ever know you. And he loves you so much that he's going to speak to you on that intimate level that it's like a parent. You love your kids the same, but you speak to each one differently because, you know, this one's really shy and this one's really. That's how God is with us times a billion, that he wants to speak to us. He wants to have that personal relationship with us and he wants us to be assured that he knows us that we are known on a level that's simply incomprehensible. And so I just want to say, um, in closing, that's every one of us, and we need to remember God is no respecter of persons. He knows every single person as intimately as he did me in that dream. And we need to know, if you're going through some stuff, whatever, Jesus is on it. He's, he's, he knows every fear, every sin, every hope, every broken dream. He knows us. And I just think we need to be reminded of that because it's normal for us to forget it. It is normal for us to forget everything, which is why we go to church and hear sermons and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Amen.
1: Hey, can you stand with me, church? Worship team, if you want to come up and join us. I want to read this excerpt out of um, Eric's book real quick. It's, um, it's this moment where he was, he was sitting with the guy that would, was praying for him and sharing the scripture with him, and it's this moment he describes this prayer he has with his friend Ed. And it says, As I sat there with my eyes shut listening to him, I felt I had suddenly stumbled upon a hidden geography. As though Ed, with a few words, had opened a portal into another world. Or as though with mere invocation of the name of Jesus, he had with a fiery sword slit a hole in the air around us. And it flapped aside like canvas and we felt and smelled the breeze of heaven coming through. Isn't that incredible? Do you know, that's what God wants us as believers to live like, that the breeze of heaven would come into our lives. Friends, not just some kind of intellectual ascent that makes sense on the conscious.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know Him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.